the encouragement and conviction we need from you. I pray that you would move in this place and that you would do what only you can do right now, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay. Um, sorry. Of course, we're having the technical problems here as well. Hey, R Andres, could you bring my laptop down here? My notes are not showing up on my iPad. <laughs> everything is going. Everything is going today. It's the it's the Delta variant. That's uh, what's happening. Um, you know what? It, no, don't throw it. Um, so, <laughs> uh, uh, oh, you know what? I'm sorry, Carter. My laptop. I brought my bag down there, so I just wanted to mess with Andres. It's actually back there. Yeah, could you just uh, behind you, right there? Could you just bring it? The whole you can bring the whole bag to me. Um, one thing to say, uh, just to give you the full technical problem aspect, um, thank you, sir. Um, one thing to say that I did forget, um, say it again? Oh, yeah, they found it, thank you. Um, one thing to say while I'm filling time while I'm doing this, um, that I forgot to mention during uh, announcements, and I apologize for that, is obviously we have um, had some changes um, with the, the virus and what's happening in our world. And so um, a couple of people have asked, like, what are we going to be doing in regard to moving forward with masks and different things like that? And as always, from the very first day of the pandemic, we're going to be following CDC guidelines. And so one of the things within that is that um, there is not a mandate that we would wear masks, but it's strongly recommended that we would. And so that's what we're going to be following right now. It's just talking with Gabby and Andres. That's what uh, they would suggest as well. And so we do highly recommend that people wear masks, but we're not requiring it at this point. If the CDC mandates that, then like we have all the way for over a year now, we'll go back to that. Um, but just to be aware, that's kind of where we're at. Does that make sense? And so, um, I mean, I've been vaccinated since March and uh, was in a crowded place, and that's how everybody thinks I got it. And so we want to make sure that we're protecting ourselves, that we're following truth and science and not just um, wild ideas. And we want to follow what, the, what we're being told is smart and, and wise. And so right now what smart and wise is is that we highly recommend that you wear a mask. Um, and so if you have questions about that, like I said, we have doctors in our church. Uh, we have people that actually work for the companies who are helping produce the virus. Uh, not the virus, the, 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 vac <laughs> the vaccine. That's a whole different story. Um, Glad that we're not recording this right now. Um, that's how conspiracy theories start. Uh, it all starts as a, as a leak at New Life Lincoln Park. Um, uh, we have people that are working on the vaccine. So we have people that you can ask questions to. And so, like I've said before, um, don't trust your Google search over their training and expertise. Uh, if you have questions, if you have concerns, those are valid we want to make sure that we get valid information about them. And so if you have questions about that, like I said, just let me know, and I'll direct you to those people. Um, to get started today, 
um, since it's my first week back in a couple weeks, and I'm just super excited about that. Uh, we're going to start our message today with fun. Is that okay? We're, you're allowed to have fun in church, correct? And so uh, hopefully you believe that because that's true. And so we're going to play a little game. We don't have the PowerPoint yet for this, um, but we can still do it without it. We're going to do truth, truths, and a lie. Have you ever done that with anyone? And so I have a couple of people who are going to be helping me with this. If you're my two truths and a lie people, can you come up here and uh, join me up front? And so Garrett, Gracie, and Chavez are going to uh, help me with this. And so uh, we don't have the slides, so you guys are going to have to kind of share your stuff um, uh, off the top of your head. But each of them has uh, two truths and a lie that they have come up with. And so they're going to share what their three facts are. And then I'm going to ask all of you which one you think is the lie. All right? So we're going to start with Garrett. Sure. You're not Garrett. <laughs> I have a clean diaper. I have eaten today. <laughs> there you go. Test, yeah, test. No? There we go. Oh. Cool. All right. Uh, so, let's see. Da -da 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 -da. Um, let's go with this one first. I slept, walk out of, slept, walked out of a hotel on a family vacation. Slept, walked out of a hotel, out of a hotel on a family on vacation. A family vacation. That's number one. What's yeah, number, number two? One. Uh, number two is I'm deaf. Number three is I fed an alligator raw chicken on an airboat tour. All right. So number one, slept, walked out of a hotel while on family vacation. Two, deaf. And three, fed an alligator raw chicken on an airboat tour. Those are your pieces of information about Garrett here. Very interesting. How many of you think it's the hotel, slept walk out of a hotel? Raise your hands. Put your hands. Is, the, is the lie. How many of you think the slept slip walk is the lie? Put my missing hands. One. How many think it's the deaf? A couple more. How many of you think it's the fed the raw chicken to an alligator? Wow, a lot of them on that one. Which one is the lie? Alligator. That one is a lie. So he did not fool anyone. So it was a good, good attempt. Good attempt. Uh, well, you tried. It was good. All right, Chavez. All right. That's, that's cool. So my three. I'm the shortest of my four siblings. That's number one. I've danced with Cindy Crawford. Number two. I studied French throughout elementary school, so first to eighth grade, but I only know how to say my name is, and how are you? All right, so if you didn't hear those, first one, he's the short, shortest of his siblings, four siblings, mm -hmm. danced with Cindy Crawford, studied French from first grade through eighth grade, but only remembers how to say uh, his name and how are you? How many of you think it's shortest of his siblings? How many of you think it's Dance with Cindy Crawford? How many of you think it's the studied French? Ooh, definitely a mixture on that one. Which one's the lie? I'm actually the tallest of my siblings. Tallest <laughs> of his siblings. Which means he danced with Cindy Crawford. <laughs> when they told me that story, I was like, that's the best one out of all of these. And so, all right, thank you, Chavez. Gracie. Okay. Um, I have never gotten a ticket of any kind I secretly have two last names, or I made a near-perfect score on the English section of the SAT. 
Okay, and I don't know which one of these is a lie. So the first one is, uh, what was the first one again? Uh, I secretly have two last names. Secretly have two last names. I have never gotten a ticket of any kind. Never gotten a ticket of any kind. I made a near-perfect score on the English section of the SAT. Near-perfect score on the English section of the SATs. How many think it's the two last names? One person. How many think it's the no ticket of any kind? You're all frustrated with her if that's true, right? <laughs> And how many of you think it's the perfect score on the English? Some of you are frustrated at that, if that's true. <laughs> Which one is it? The SAT. New the SAT. Score. So Go two on. last names. and uh, Very good. Awesome. All right. Let's hear it for our uh, helpers here. That's really awesome. Now, I'm sure you've played that with people at some point, or you've played a game like it. Fun game. And you, you know, like I said, you may have played it before. It's interesting to think of why... People, why we think something is true or something is a lie. I mean, if we were able to have that conversation and talk, you know, why did you think that one wasn't true? Was it seemed kind of off? Did it seem unreal? It's also interesting to think of how a person came up with their fib. Like, oh, this, they'll believe this, or they would think this. About, why, why did we come up with those things? But think about it if you were on trial in a real court case, one that there were witnesses for. I actually have jury duty tomorrow. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> Let's say that I am picked and I have to go and that the trial, there are witnesses that we have to hear for the case. At the end of one of their testimonies, they state, okay, out of all the different facts that I just told you, one of those things is a lie. That would be really bad, wouldn't it? That would not go over well. It wouldn't be like, oh, okay, which one is it? No, it would throw out the whole thing because every single thing that they would say at that point would be suspect, and that's not the point. Everything would have to get thrown out. Truth is the goal, and for there to be truth, you need truthful witnesses. You need truthful witnesses to establish truth. Does that make sense? If we can grasp that, then we can grasp the heart of the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This command is not simply about not lying, even though that's a major component of it. It's more than that. There's legal language here that's connected to their judicial system, their court system, how they did things. See, there wasn't CSI Egypt at some point. There was no ancient crime scene lab or labs to test DNA back then. None of that stuff that we have. You needed truthful witnesses to establish the truth when an offense happened. And they were very serious about the protocols for this. They had, there had to be more than one witness. The, and the more you had, the better. In Deuteronomy 17, 6, it says, On the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. I mean, these things are serious. You can't just go off with just what one person is saying. In Deuteronomy 19.15, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he or she has committed. Only on the evidence of two or three witnesses 
shall a charge be established. If one person were just to come up and give a charge and say somebody did this and there was no one else to give backing to it, collaborate with it, get out of here. We can't just go off of just one person. But if two people, two other people, if three people, if more people could give witness to it, could bear witness, bear means to give testimony, to declare, to say, here's what we saw, here's what we know, here's what we experienced happening. That was how they established truth. And they would consider those things. But it wasn't just, okay, let's just take this. There was also scrutiny of what the witnesses said. And there were consequences for a false witness. Deuteronomy 19 also says, The judges shall inquire diligently. They shall think through this, process this, think about this diligently. And if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So shall you purge this evil from your midst. If somebody comes and gives a false charge, and there's false witnesses that collaborate that, there's totally making this up, bringing this against person, and it's found out, if by, in the inquiry, the inquiry they realize this is false, then the people who are false witnesses, they get the punishment for the crime they were accusing him of. This is serious to them. Honesty was of utmost importance. People of integrity were crucial why? One scholar says at stake was justice for anyone who used the judicial system. Truthful, honest witnesses were the backbone of their system. How can you get a fair trial if the system is broken? So they protected their system. Proverbs 6 says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the community. False witnesses are something that the Lord hates. Hates because of what it does to the community. Like all of the Ten Commandments, following the ninth, to give truthful witness, not give false testimony, to, give, to follow the ninth commandment, stabilized and strengthened the community. Breaking it would fracture and weaken the community. This commandment shows us God's character and his desire for the community. But here's the thing. It's very specific. No false witness against a neighbor. Against a neighbor. I don't want you to miss that important nuance. When we take this simply as, well, it's telling us not to lie, we are minimizing it and making it only about us. And that's not what the command is doing. But the nuance is important. The command is telling them, to truthfully represent others in the community. What you say about other people should be true. 
What you speak about other people should be truthful to reality, to what's happened, to who they are. And to not do that is to go against your neighbor. And that's, that's kind of a big deal to God, right? We have to see this. The focus is how they treat others. And other parts of Torah talks about this. In Leviticus 19, which is a central part of what's called the holiness code, how they act, how they live, how they be holy as God is holy. One of the ways that he describes what holiness looks like to them, it says in 19, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. To faithfully represent those in the community means not talking bad about others, not slandering, but basing how we act and what we say in holiness. It also says in Leviticus 19, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, you shall, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you inquire sin because of them. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You know, Jesus talked about, somebody asked Jesus, what are the two greatest commandments? To love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. A lot of times, if we just stick in the New Testament, we think that that was something Jesus brought to them. No, Jesus is reminding them of something that's been core to the people of God throughout history. Love your neighbor as yourself. And what the ninth commandment is telling us is you love your neighbor with your words. You love your neighbor by truthfully representing them with what you say about them. We care about the community the way we talk about the community and the people in it. Does that make sense? And so what can our community learn from their community and the ninth commandment? Well, I see implications for us to consider when we think about this command and what it meant and how it worked and what they were doing and how it was important to that how they showed God, I think when I think about what that means for us and the implications of it for us, I see it bringing up things we need to consider regarding culture, our community, and even ourselves. First, our culture. When it comes to our culture, we need to be champions of truth. We need to be champions of truth. Last month, a Baylor, well, sorry, June, just August 1st, throwing me off. Uh, in June, a Baylor University study found, you can look this up online, that there is a significant portion of the church, of those who identify as strongly religious, that believe in conspiracy theories. Now, the study doesn't equate that all of the church believes such things. It's not saying that all religious people believe conspiracy theories. That would be a baseless conclusion. But it is saying that the majority of those who do believe these things are considered, would consider themselves highly religious people. 
who take the Bible literally and are very spiritual. So for a good portion of the larger church to believe baseless things from the last year and for the church itself to be associated with such thinking, that should really bother us. That should really bother us. It should concern us because of how we talk and about the world, and excuse me, it should, it should concern us because how we talk in the world and about the world should be truthful. We should be people of truth. We should talk about our neighbors, about our community, not just the people we know, but in the world, we should speak truth. And for a good portion of the church to be doing the opposite means they are giving a false witness about reality and spreading that, one that the rest of us become associated with. Now, somebody would say, well, man, this is just a unique problem. This is just a... No, this is not a new problem. This is not a new problem with church people. In 415 AD, Augustine, one of like the big dogs of the early church, addressed this very issue. Now, with our technical stuff, I don't have it on the slide, but I want you to listen. It's kind of a little bit of a longer quote, but I want you to hear this and how it applies to what we see happening in our world today. He said, usually, even a non-Christian knows something about the earth, the heavens, and the other elements of this world, about the motion and orbits of the stars, about the predictable eclipses of the sun and moon, the cycles of the years and the seasons, about the kinds of animals, shrubs, stories, and so forth. And this knowledge he holds to as being certain from reason and experience. There's people in our world who know the world. They study the world. They can see how things work. They can see how things operate, is what he's saying. And, but then he continues with this. Now, again, Augustine in 415, it is a disgraceful and dangerous thing for a non-Christian to hear a Christian presumably giving the meaning of holy scriptures talking nonsense on these things. And we should take all means to prevent such an embarrassing situation in which people show up vast ignorance in a Christian and laughed it to scorn. The shame is not so much that an ignorant individual is derided, but that people outside the household of the faith think our sacred writers also held such opinions. And to the great loss of those whose salvation we toil, the writers of our scriptures are criticized and rejected as unlearned men. People who are saying that they're religious in the time, who are saying that they study the scriptures, are from their understanding of them going against what is basic and normal and people can see for themselves and what's being said. No, you scientists, no, you people who study these things, you don't know what you're talking about. And what Augustine is saying is, that's an embarrassment. We should, be, should not be okay with that. Because if people can look at what we're saying and go, they don't know what they're talking about with these things. We know this. We've studied this. We put our time and energy into this. And they're telling us we're wrong. They have no idea what they're talking about. How can those people then trust us 
or even give us a chance when we talk about what the scripture says. That's what he follows up with. If they find a Christian mistaken in a field which they themselves know well and hear the Christian maintaining their foolish opinions about our books, how are they going to believe those books and matters concerning the resurrection of the dead, the hope of eternal life, and the kingdom of heaven, when they think their pages are full of falsehoods on facts which they themselves had learned from experience and the light of reason? He is saying this is something that should embarrass us and we should speak into. And he said this 1,600 years ago, warning the church. If people look at how we talk about the world and they conclude that we're unlearned people because what we say goes against reality, how are they going to then believe anything we say about, the, about scriptures or about the Lord? I've shared this before. We must be responsible for what we take in and what goes out. Responsible for what we affirm and for what we discredit and on the basis that we do. Ephesians 5.15 says, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. That's Christian author and pastor Ed Stetzer says, God has not called us to be easily fooled. Gullibility is not a Christian virtue. We need to be champions of truth. Well, what does that mean? Well, for some, this may challenge how you think about some things. We must have a critical mind. We must scrutinize. And Jesus must be our point of reference. There's nothing wrong with groups or causes or agendas that we are passionate about. But Jesus has to be the standard by which we evaluate and critique those things and not the other thing around. We have to listen to experts, not hobbyists. Somebody having information is one thing, but knowing what to do with it is another. So we have to speak to and learn from people who are trained in the appropriate fields, and then we must adjust our perceptions based on facts. Plato said no one should be angry at what is true. And what we see in the world today is a lot of believers who are getting angry about things that are true and wanting to deny that it is. So for some of us, it, it should challenge how you think. But for some of us, I hope it challenges how you engage people. I'm not saying go on a social media crusade. I mean, at times you need to say something, but that's not going to help. But we should engage people with respect and love when opportunities present themselves. Not to correct anybody, but to dialogue with people, to give other opinions, to challenge people. That is okay to do. And we need to be champions of truth. And the thing that you have to think through is, do you have relationships and engagement with people that don't know the Lord? Because if you don't, if you're not engaged with people who don't know the Lord, who aren't part of a solid, just only thing they know is Christian community, then you might not see why this is such a big deal. 
But if you get around people who don't know the Lord, who aren't part of our Christian community, who aren't part of Christian culture, who, aren't, who experience things and are asking questions and are on the outside looking in, when you get around more and more of those people, you are going to see that this is a really big deal. And I hope that if you are somebody that follows Jesus, you want people to know Jesus. And if you want people to know Jesus, then you need to be around people who don't know him. And so maybe that's where the idea of being a champion of truth comes in for you, is if you're saying, well, why is this such a big deal, is maybe you haven't been around people that it is a big deal to them. And so engage people. Again, maybe that's the takeaway you need from this. Man, I need to start hanging around and trying to figure out ways to build relationships with people who don't go here, who aren't part of my Christian group, who, are, who need to know the truth and the love and grace of God. Out of everything, I hope you do take that away from this message. In regard to our culture, we have to be champions of truth. We have to give truthful testimony. Yes, we'll have differences of opinion, but when our opinions go contrary to reality, in fact, our opinions are irrelevant. We have to adjust what, uh, who we are to what's true. And Christians should be champions of that. The second thing that's major implications of this command is our community. We must strengthen and care for others with our words. As far as the community goes, and when I say community, I'm talking about our church family. I'm talking about New Life Lincoln Park, but also it obviously it goes beyond that to the, the church at large, other believers. But I want you to think about this in regard to the church, our church. How we talk about others, it matters. What we say about them when they're not around, it matters. Jeanette and I went to a wedding a long time ago uh, for someone at the church where I was a youth pastor. This was way before New Life, before our kids. Um, different time. Um, we were there for the ceremony. We were there for the time before the dinner. We were there for the dinner. We were there for the speeches, the toast, for the cutting of the cake. We were there for the first dances and all of that. And then the dance floor opened up for everybody else. Now, if you know me, I wasn't going to go dance. And Jeanette, who would dance, didn't want to dance by herself. And we knew some people there, but not a ton. So it was like, we just said to each other, hey, let's slip out and we'll go do something else. We're dressed up, let's go find something to do. So we left. You know, just, we, we were there, had our fun, let's go. About a week or so later, one of my students was hanging out in my office and made the comment, hey, I didn't know you were against dancing. Like, I think that was probably my literal reaction. Like, jaw drop, what? Where did... Where did that come from? Well, someone said you left the wedding a couple weekends ago because you're against dancing. What? I didn't leave because I'm against dancing. I left because I'm against the idea that I have any dancing ability at all. That's just not me. Who said that? Oh, you know, people. And that's the thing. People talk. And we hear what people say. You talk. I talk. Is what we're saying 
true? Do we believe what we hear? Or do we scrutinize? Are the ways we say, things that we say can spread faster and easier than any variant of the virus. And see, what happened in that story and situations like it show how the breaking of the ninth commandment happens in and how it impacts community. A claim is made about somebody. We perceive something about someone or we hear something about someone. Hey, did you hear that? No witnesses are brought forth. Not, not that we're in a law court or we're going to call somebody, but there's no one else to collaborate a story, to prove or disprove. But instead, one person, one couple, one individual becomes judge and jury. And an evaluation is made about somebody. Then that evaluation is taken, and if it is shared and spread, community is fractured. Ed Stetzker, talking about this, he said, Referring to the Ninth Commandment, John Wesley described bearing false witness as speaking falsely in any manner, including that which speaks unjustly against your neighbor to the prejudice of their reputation. Does what, when I talk about people, I'm talking about their reputation, their character. And if what I say isn't true, I'm declaring a false witness. Can we commit to one another as a church family to not do that? I mean, that's why, I mean, I, I really hope that the recording of this works because this was like the message out of all of them was like, our church needs to hear this. Can we commit to not be like that? Can we commit to strengthen and guard this family with how we talk, with how we talk about one another? Consider how the New Testament letter of Ephesians directs us to talk with and about each other. It says in chapter 4, verse 25, having, a put away, having put away any falsehood, let, us, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Does what I say about people, about somebody, is it true? Would that person agree with what I'm sharing? If the person you're talking about isn't there, if they came in, would they be okay with what you're saying? Because if not, then why do we say it? And if we haven't clarified something, why would we say it? It says in 26 and 27, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Am I dealing with my frustrations or hurts in a holy manner or allowing them to fester and spread to others? To be hurt is a real thing. To get angry at somebody is okay. But how we handle that anger can be wrong. And so are we handling things correctly? When somebody shares their hurt, their frustrations, or what other, whatever about others with me, do I just take it? Or do I think, whoa, we are not giving the devil an opportunity to create disunity here or create more hurt here? Let's go to the person you're talking about and clear this up. Do I just take what I hear as truth or do I go, whoa, 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 you're talking about one of my family members here. You're talking about one of your family members here. We need to clear this up. 
Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. When I talk about people, do I build them up even when they're not around? Do I build up the community even to people who aren't part of it? And if I don't feel that I can do that, do I go back to verses 27, 26 and 27 that tell me how to handle my anger? And speaking the truth and dealing with it with the person who made the offense, not other people. 31 and 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Do I care enough about my community to protect people? To care about people? To give people the benefit of the doubt? To clarify with people what is true rather than just going with what I've heard. Be willing to speak the truth in love so that growth can happen and the community is strengthened. How do you talk about people? And how do you handle it when you hear things about people? What we say in this place matters. How you talk about people matters. Speak what is true. Speak what is gracious. Speak in a way that builds up this place and shares grace. You know, and we've, I just want to say as the pastor, I know that there's just a reality that I can be the target of a lot of this. And so I want to invite and welcome any of you. If you ever have a question or a wondering or what does he think, or what does he believe, or I heard, I, please let me know. I have no problem with somebody coming and asking me about me. I have no problem with somebody clarifying what I think, or believe, or stand, or whatever. And it really hurts. It's bothersome when people just get a perception, and then even leaves without clarifying with me. And that's happened. It's happened multiple times. Talking with people, I talked with somebody this last spring, somebody, a couple that hadn't been around since the fall. Where have you, what happened? Well, I mean, we like, we, it was all good, but I mean, we just can't be part of a church that supports Black Lives Matter, the organization. What are you talking about? Well, you marched in a, one of the, the th rallies. I went to a faith march on the south side. That doesn't mean I support, you made that jump? Why didn't you come and ask me about that? And rather than clarifying that, rather than coming to me, they just left. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. Whether it's me or whether it's somebody else in here or whether... It don't just go, okay, well, I see this. I'm going to be the judge and jury and I'm going to make a decision and I'm going to act on it. That's not how God wants us to treat our community. If anything, the first witness you should bring in to validate truth is the person that you're talking about. And so I'm, I want to lead by example, and I want to tell you what I want you to, how you want to not just treat me, but every single person in this church. Go to people. Talk to people. Clarify things. Don't just fracture community. How you talk matters. Last thing, we need to think through the implications on how we engage culture, the false or true testimonies we bring, our community, 
But last, we need to think about the false witnesses that we can, can be brought on ourselves. We must find strength and direction from the truth of our identity in Christ. Really, I can't add anything to this point that Jeff didn't already say last week. I mean, that was a powerful, powerful message around our identity in Christ. Not trying to win the approval of others, but we find peace and joy and power in who we are in Jesus. And if you did not hear it, I beg you to go download the New Life app and listen to it from last week, Jeff's message there. One thing that he gave was specific examples from Scripture of what is true about us from a relationship with Jesus. Things like, if I have a relationship with Jesus, I'm a new creation, more than a conqueror, free from condemnation, redeemed and forgiven, alive with Jesus, victorious, God's special treasure, accepted, part of the family of God, a citizen of his kingdom. These are things that are true about you when you have a relationship with Jesus. Now, I'm not going to repeat Jeff's message here at the end, but I do want to connect what he said to the idea of a false witness. Some of you know the pain of having a false witness speak against you, where people spoke ill of you, things were said that weren't true of you, things which devalued you, misrepresented you, disrespected you, or wounded you. No, it didn't happen in an ancient law court, but for you it may have happened in, in a church. Maybe it happened at work. Maybe it happened with classmates at school. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it was a friend, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, maybe your spouse. But they said something. They brought a charge against you. You know, you're nothing but... You know, you're like this. If you'd only be more like... People have been talking and you need to know and everything they say hurts for all the wrong reasons. Now, if somebody is coming to you in a caring manner, speaking the truth in love about a genuine thing that needs to be pointed out, then we need to own that. Ask forgiveness for our shortcomings, for our sins, whatever it was. But a person who cares about us and going to bring those things to us are going to do it in a manner that they want us to win, if you will. They want us to grow, to be more like Jesus, to know restoration. That's not always an easy thing to hear, but it's a different type of difficulty. It's a good thing. But what I'm talking about in regard to false witnesses is when somebody speaks to you or about you in a way that isn't about the truth in love isn't about forgiveness or grace or who we are in Christ. It just is different. Maybe they thought they were helping or maybe they knew they were hurting, but the result was a verdict in your heart that you aren't valued. You're not wanted, cared for, or loved. And if that has happened to you, I want to say that I am so, so sorry. I know that pain and it is real. And I want you to know, I want you to know that I've been having to remind myself and even relearn a little bit that if somebody says about what somebody, if something that somebody says about you, if it goes against who you are in Jesus, then they are bringing a false witness about you. 
Just like we need to evaluate and be truthful in regard to what we see in culture, just like we need to be true and evaluate what we see and how we talk about those in the community, we also have to be true and evaluate what we think about ourselves in light of what's true about Christ. The thing we have to remember is, is if God required two or three witnesses for truth to be established, when it comes to who you are, God Almighty, Father, Son, and Spirit stands in witness for you. And so let God give his account. If somebody is coming and said, coming or has said something against you that goes against the reality of who you are in Christ, goes against the reality of how God feels for you and loves you and cares for you, their word is up against his. And it's three against one. And he's the one that's perfect. And so go with what God says. Let him give the account. God speaks what is true about you. John 3.16 tells us that he loves you. Genesis 12 tells us he wants the world to be blessed. Scripture tells us he wants to forgive us, to restore us. He cares about us. He is present with us. And if anybody tells you different, they're wrong. Don't believe it. It is a false witness against you. And maybe the false witness that says some of those things isn't another person. Maybe you bring it against yourself. Maybe you hear the reality of God's truth and his love for you, his care for you, him wanting you to be his child, to be part of his family, and you're like, he would never forgive somebody like me. He would never want somebody like me. He would never forgive the things that I've done. He would never accept somebody like me. You are bringing a false witness against yourself. And so you need to go with God's testimony about you, that he does forgive, he does love, he does care, he does want you, and you believe him more than you believe yourself. Allow him to love you. Allow him to care for you. Trust his salvation for you. And don't believe anything different that anyone else or even yourself says differently. Let God's testimony bring truth to your heart. We must be people who seek truth, who do not give false testimony, be it about our world, be it about the church, and be it about ourselves. Because ultimately, within all of these things, whether we're interacting with the world around us, whether we're interacting with community, whether we're thinking about ourselves, it ultimately all comes down to the same thing. We are to represent Jesus. We are God's ambassadors. And how we act, how we talk, how we believe represents him. And if we're messing up in our cultures, in our communities, and about ourselves, then we are showing a false witness of who God is. And we need to be presenting him as true. It's about him. That's why all of this matters. Because we want people to know him, to experience him, to understand him. And when we mess it up in our culture, community, and ourselves, we are misrepresenting God. Be a person of truth. 
I don't know how this message hits you. Maybe it's the culture thing. Maybe you need to think more critically about stuff. Get other opinions. Maybe you need to surround yourself or put effort into finding people who aren't like you. Maybe it's the community thing. Maybe you need to own up to some things, apologize for things, make amends, or just start thinking through, how can I be a component of encouragement and truth here? Maybe it's you. Maybe you need to believe the good of God's love for you. Maybe you need to be honest about your need for him. Maybe today is the day that you need to receive the gospel, that you acknowledge your need for Christ, that it's only because of what he did on the cross that forgives us of our sins and restores us back to our relationship with God. Be a person of truth in however this is landing in your heart. Let's pray together. God, we thank you and praise you for the fact that you are a God of truth. We thank you and praise you for the community that you've placed us in, both inside this church family and in this neighborhood and in this city. I pray, God, that you would help us to be true representatives of you with our neighbors, with our church, with our families, with ourselves. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your care. God, I pray that in whatever way that you are convicting us or encouraging us in from this word, from your word, God, I pray you would help us to own it, to not deflect it, to not make excuses, to not make it about somebody else, but to own it and to take action, that we wouldn't just hear your word, but that we would become doers of it. So make us see and understand what we need to do based on how you have proclaimed truth to our hearts today. It's in your name we pray, amen. So think about the truth and the reality that people need him and we need him. Let's stand together and we'll close this song just acknowledging who God is.